this table that we just shared this table tells a story right this table tells God's story right it tells a story about how God loved you so much and loved me so much that he wasn't willing to give up on us even after we gave up on him and turned our backs on him it tells the story of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ how he made a way for us to be redeemed and restored and saved to be put into a right relationship with God it's a powerful story it's a story of God this table tells your story as well right those of us who have humbly submitted ourselves to God who have just tasted the bread and just tasted the juice those of us who have freely accepted the saving and transforming gift of salvation that God gives us, we find ourselves written into God's story of grace. Our stories are, are His salvation story. It's us at this table. This table also tells our story together. Because as we said at the very beginning of the service, we come here together. We come as a family, as a fellowship, as a community, unified by this, unified by, by the blood of Jesus Christ. This table is an intimate place where family gathers, where life is shared at the very deepest of levels. That's what, that's what meals do, right? That's what tables do. You share a table. You share a meal at your kitchen table, at the picnic table in the backyard. You share it with the people that you love the most. Who gathers around your table for dinner? It's your children. It's your parents. It's your family. It's your good friends. It's people that you want to share life with at the deepest level. That's why I don't think it's a coincidence that God invites you and I around a table. Because he wants to share life with us at the deepest of levels. But there's one story yet to be told. You see, there's more room around God's table. There are some people who still need to find their way to their place at the table. There are more people who need to find their way into God's story of grace. And you know what? You and I, as people who have found our place at the table, you and I get to share that story with them. You and I get to give that invitation. You know, during his years of ministry, Jesus often, you get to read it in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus often sat around a table and shared a meal with people. He shared this intimate space, passing plates, passing drinks, sharing food, sharing stories, sharing life together around the table. So when, when we think about who God might want us to invite around this table, we should look at who Jesus invited around his tables. Who did Jesus eat with? Who did he sit around the table with so that they might hear his story, so they might hear God's story, so they might hear the salvation story? It makes sense for us to eat with and share table with the same people Jesus chose to eat with and share his story with. And we might be surprised as we look at some of the stories in Jesus' life at who he sat down with. First of all, the first faces we see around the table that Jesus ate with 
are the faces of his friends. Again and again, you read about Jesus eating with his friends. He ate with the people that he loved, right? He ate with his disciples often. He sat around the table with his best friend Lazarus in Lazarus' home. He sat around that table with Mary and with Martha. The early New Testament church recognized that. And so you read in Acts chapter 2 that, that as they began to develop church systems and structures, one of the key things they did is they gathered together and they ate together. They shared a table together. So Jesus makes room around the table for the people who love him. We just celebrated that with communion. Jesus made room around this table for you, for me, for the people who love him. Right, so in Luke 22, as Jesus sits down around this table for the Last Supper, right, he, he sits there with his disciples and he starts by telling them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. I, I eagerly desired to be at this table. I eagerly desired to be sitting here with the faces of my friends all around me. People who I love, people who I know love me dearly. I couldn't wait to be together with you around this table and around this meal. You and I, us together, we need to be a community that gathers around the table building loving relationships together with the people here who are our spiritual brothers and sisters I'm not just talking about this table we need to be gathering around each other's tables we need to be sharing life together and sharing stories together we need to tell each other about this God's story being written in our lives talking about spiritual things talking about what God has done Remember who we are. Together we are a fellowship unified by the one thing that is Jesus Christ. We find our unshakable unity in Him. So we need to tell each other our stories with faces of friends, in small groups, life groups, wherever, Bible studies, tell the story. But my guess is when I talk about friends, people you love, probably not just limited to people in this church. My guess is each of us has friends in our lives, people we love, who have not found their way to the table. And I'm not just talking about the Ivanrest table here. They haven't found their place around God's table anywhere yet. They're still living their own story. They're, they're still telling their own story apart from the story that God wants to write in them. They're living without grace. They're living without salvation. They're living without God. And we love them. And you know what? God wants you to invite them around your table. God wants to tell his story to them through you. What a perfect place to start, isn't it? A friend. A family member a neighbor, a co-worker, people you know already need to hear God's story being told through you. Will you invite them to your table? Will you invite them deep into your life so that maybe with your words and maybe just with how you live, they will hear God's story being spoken through you. That's where Jesus starts. That's where we would like to end, isn't it? 
We would like to fill our tables, fill our lives, fill our homes with people that we know and love, people who we are comfortable with. We like to limit our connections to, to these safe connections, these safe friends. It's the easy invitation. Jesus didn't stop there with his friends, right? Jesus took his inviting three steps further out. Okay, Jesus not only invited his friends to eat with him, but he made those very same connections with strangers, right? He invited people who didn't know him yet to eat with him. So Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is on the hillside up in Galilee, and he's teaching. He's been teaching all day long. There's 5,000 men plus the women and children all gathered there on the hillside with him. They're all strangers, right? He, it's not like they're 5,000 of his good friends. They're all strangers there. And it gets to be late in the day, and his, and his disciples say to him, hey, it, it's supper time. In fact, it's past supper time. There's thousands of people here. Send them home so they can go find something to eat. And that's the logical choice, right? That would be exactly what I would do. Because then they all leave, and Jesus can once again gather around the meal with just his disciples, with his friends. After a long day of teaching, after he's tired and exhausted, get rid of the strangers. Sit around the meal. Sit around dinner with your good friends where you can just kind of relax and let loose. It's what his disciples wanted to do. It's not what Jesus did. Instead, Jesus said to the whole crowd, he said, sit down. Sit in circles of about 50. In other words, make a table. Make a table in the middle of you. The ground was their table. And he took the five loaves that he had, and he took the two fish, and he multiplied that food at every table until everybody was fed. He ate with them. Can you imagine? Do you ever think about being a part of that crowd? Do you ever try and picture the looks on their faces, the joy that comes as the baskets never get empty, the stories that they're telling, the laughter, the awe, and there's Jesus sitting in one of the circles with his disciples, laughing with them. They heard Jesus' story because he set a meal for them, because he, he made tables out of the ground and he shared this food with them. And many of these strangers become friends that day. Many of them hear the story of God's grace right there with the grass as their table because he made room for them. So what would it look like for us, for you and I, to do the exact same thing? To make room around our table, to make room around the grill, to make room in the backyard, at the picnic table, to make room somewhere in your life for people who are strangers to Jesus, right? As easy and comfortable as it is, we cannot, you and I cannot live our lives exclusively in the isolated and insulated Christian communities, right? That's, that's one of the dangers that comes along with the blessing of living in West Michigan, right? There are enough Christians around that we can fill all of our friendship connections with, with fellow Christians. And we never have to have a non-Christian friend. That's not what Jesus wants for us. Jesus wants us to have good friends, not just acquaintances, but good friends who don't know him. 
And that means they may live their lives very differently than we do. They may hold very different morals and values than you. They may even make you really, really uncomfortable at times. And those are the people Jesus calls us to love. Those are the ones Jesus says, make those friends. Make room for them in your life and around your table. Otherwise, they will never hear your story. They will never hear my story. They will never hear our story unless you tell them, unless you let them into your life. Make friends with people who are strangers to me. Don't be strangers to them. You know, inviting somebody specifically who doesn't know Jesus into our lives might be radically challenging enough for, for most of us here. I hope you have somebody in mind. I hope God brought a name or a face, a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend. Don't forget that. Don't forget that name. Don't forget that face. Could that be the Holy Spirit prompting you? If it is, don't say no. Okay, for many of us, that's going to be challenging enough, but Jesus went another step further. And he shared his table with the outcasts, with the people that this world shunned. He shared his world with the people who aren't like us. The people who truthfully we don't like because they aren't like us. Jesus shows us how it's done as well as some of the costs that comes along with that. He shows that to us in Matthew chapter 9. Take out your Bibles to that passage. I got this passage and one other one that I want you to look at with me. Page 790. 790 in the Bibles you have in front of you. Here in Matthew 9, Jesus makes room in his life for someone who made everyone uncomfortable. And this isn't the only instance. Okay, start reading that verse 9 of Matthew 9 with me. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew, the tax collector. And you have to translate that word. We think IRS agent. That's a, not, a, not at all what a tax collector was. You need to think thief. You need to think traitor. You need to think someone who turned their back on their own people and rip them off for profit. Someone who is making a living by stealing from you. That's who Matthew was. It is the most loathed kind of person. And Jesus here invites Matthew into his life. Jesus goes to Matthew's house and sits around his table and sits with a whole bunch of these tax collectors and sinners and this isn't a one-time occurrence in Luke chapter 19 Jesus is walking through the crowd he could go to anybody's house there are probably people who would love to have him for dinner what does he do he looks up at the tree and says Zacchaeus come down because I'm going to your house today who's Zacchaeus a tax collector 
the most loathed outcast in all of society. And, and as he goes into Matthew's house, but we just read it, the, the religious leaders asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with, eat with tax collectors and sinners? As he's sitting with Zacchaeus, all the people we're told are saying, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Those aren't, that's not a compliment. Why is he with the outcast? Why is he with them? But Jesus didn't care at all about their comments. Instead, he cared about these lost people. He cared about their eternal destination. He cared about their lives today and that day. He cared passionately about the people that everybody else hated and loathed, about the outcasts. He told us that they're the ones he came for. Right? He said it. I'm not called to come to call the righteous. I've come to call the, the sinners, the outcasts. And he didn't call them from a distance and say, hey, hey, come on over if you want. He didn't call them from a distance. He sat down around a table with them. He went right to where they were. He connected them closely as a friend, as someone to share life with. And you know what? He was willing to take all the criticism. He was willing to take whatever criticism came his way. And now he asks us to dare to do the same thing, to love the outcasts to love the people who aren't like us. And here's where it gets really hard to be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? But Jesus didn't leave any doubts. Turn to me with me one more passage. Luke chapter 14. Page 848, Luke 14. Jesus leaves no doubts. He tells us specifically who to invite into our lives in this passage. And he uses the imagery of a meal, a banquet table. How fitting is that, right? He's talking about gathering around the table again. Luke 14, start at verse 12 with me. It says, Jesus said to his host, he was at the table of a Pharisee, and he said to this Pharisee host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, in other words, when you open up your table, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And just in case we don't get that, okay, that's, there's his command, invite the outcasts. In case you don't get it, he tells a story, because the people sitting there with him didn't get it. And here's the story he tells in verse 16. He says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master, and the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring, bring in the poor 
the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. When his friends wouldn't come, he invites the outcasts. He does what Jesus commanded, right? He invites the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. He invited the people that nobody else wanted to invite. And he says, come sit around my table. Have dinner with me. Share life with me. And we all have outcasts in our lives, don't we? You have people that you don't want to be around. If you had the choice, you would choose not to be with them. Right? When we're, when we're in grade school, maybe even high school, we shamelessly identify them, don't we? They're the kids everyone picks on. They're the ones who don't get invited to the parties. They're the ones who have no friends. As adults, maybe we're more subtle, but we can still identify them. We don't change that much from our elementary and our high school ways often. We still try and keep them out of our lives. Some of them are the same ones Jesus identified, right? We avoid those who are poor. We avoid those who have disabilities. We make a wide berth around those with, with mental illness. For some, we keep people away because of their political preferences. For them, it's their social status or lack thereof. For some, it's simply their physical looks that make them an outcast in our lives, right? It's their skin color, the slant of their eyes, their height, their weight. Maybe it's a specific sin that we see in their lives. We label our outcasts with a whole variety of labels. And then we make no room for them. We set up barriers, in fact, to keep them out of our lives. We make sure our table is full when they walk by. There's no room, sorry. Sorry, there's no room. And Jesus says that needs to change. That needs to change. The ones we work so hard to avoid are the ones that Jesus specifically invited to come to his table. They're the ones he's made room for us to invite. He wants us to love them like he loved Matthew, like he loved Zacchaeus, like he loved the prostitute who washed his feet with her tears. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind, and you'll be blessed if you do. So identify the outcasts in your lives, at your workplace, in your neighborhood. The ones you're, you're glad they're at a distance, identify them, honestly name them, and start learning to love them for Jesus' sake. Maybe you start just by praying for them every day. Maybe you start by saying hello, by, by treating them like a friend, and see what's what God does. Finally, fourth. Jesus goes even a step further. If you think you're uncomfortable now, 
Jesus goes even further. He's invited his friends. He's invited strangers. He's invited the outcasts. And now he goes so far as to even invite his enemies. What does Jesus do with those who oppose him, with the people who don't like him? What does he do to those who stand in the way of God's purposes? What does he do to those who hate him and he knows are trying to kill him? He eats with them. He sits around the table and he eats dinner with them. And he shares life with them and he tells stories with them. Right, when Jesus is done with a long day of teaching and healing in Luke chapter 11, he doesn't go relax with his friends. It says in verse 37, he's, long with, he's done with this full day, and it says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. Put me in that situation? I've had a long day. Sorry. I really should be heading back. Not Jesus. So, so he went and reclined at the table. And in Luke 14, that chapter starts off by telling us that one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. He's eating with the Pharisees, the ones who are going to nail him to a cross. And these weren't relaxing dinners. These weren't wonderful dinner parties. He knows that he's on the spot. They're watching him. They're criticizing him. They're trying to trap him. This is work. They didn't like him. And Jesus loved them. He loved his enemies enough that he sat around the table and he ate with them. Now you probably know what he's asking us to do. What he's asking you to do. To sit around the table with the people who don't like you with the people that maybe you don't like. Each one of us has those Pharisee types in our lives, don't we? They don't like you, you probably don't like them. It's just as well, both parties win. If you just go your own separate ways, no, Jesus says that's not the way it works. When you're truly becoming more like Jesus Christ, then we will start to love even the people that we don't like, even our enemies. We'll open up our lives to them love them. Again, maybe that starts by simply starting to pray for them. If you pray for somebody every day, my guess is God will move in your heart. My guess is the Holy Spirit will tell you, here's what I want you to do. Here's your next step. You probably choose not to. But if God has put a face and a name in your mind, if the Holy Spirit has said, here's who I want you to pray for, I think you should pray. Invite your enemies in. One last story as we're finishing up our stories series. It's an Old Testament story this time. 2 Kings chapter 6. You don't need to turn there. 2 Kings chapter 6 is a masterful story. It's one that makes me smile every time I read it. And it teaches us about loving our enemies, about inviting them around the table. Let me just read that story for you. It goes like this. It's the time of Elisha. It says, The king of Aram was making war against Israel. 
he had a council meeting with his army officers. He said, go to such and such a place and attack the Israelites when they come by. But the man of God sent a message to the king of Israel, and Elisha said, be careful, don't go by that place because the Aramean soldiers are hiding there. The king of Israel sent the message to his men at that place and the, that the man of God had warned them about, and the king of Israel saved quite a few men. Now the king of Aram was furious. He called his army officers and said to them, tell me, who is spying for Israel? And one of the officers of the king of Aram said, my lord, the king, none of us is a spy. It's Elisha, the prophet. He can tell the king, king of Israel many secret things. Even the words you speak in your bedroom, he tells. The king of Aram said, find Elisha, and I will send men, and I will catch him. The servants told the king, Elisha is in Dothan. And so the king of Aram sent horses and chariots and a large army to Dothan. And they arrived at night and they surrounded the city. And Elisha's servant was the first one to get up early in the morning. He went outside and he saw the army with the horses and the chariots all around the city. And the servant said to Elisha, oh my master, what can we do? And Elisha said, don't be afraid. The army that fights for us is larger than the army that fights for Aram. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I ask you to open my servant's eyes so that he can see. And Lord, open the eyes of the young man. And he saw that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. And they were all around Elisha. The horses and chariots of fire came down to Elisha. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray that you will cause these people to become blind. And God did what Elisha asked. And he caused the Aramean army to become blind. And I love this part. Elisha said to the Aramean army, this isn't the right way. This isn't the right city. Come, follow me. And I'll lead you to the man that you're looking for. And he led them straight into Samaria the capital city. And when they arrived at Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of the men so that they can see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and the Aramean army saw that they were in the city of Samaria. The king of Israel saw the Aramean army and said to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Shall I kill them? And Elisha answered, No. Don't kill them. They're not soldiers that you captured in battle. Instead, give them dinner. Let them eat and drink. And let them go home to their leader. And so the king prepared a huge meal, a banquet, for the enemy army. And after they ate and they drank, he sent them back home. And the Arameans did not send any more soldiers into the land of Israel to make any raids. Can you picture that? A banquet. The enemy army mixing with the Israeli soldiers, sharing some bread together, sharing some food together, laughing together. And enemies become friends. Amazing. My guess is all of us here have some spiritual growth to do. We're going to reach that stage. We're going to get to that level. So what is the first step? Don't take the whole thing, the whole command. What's just the first step that God is asking you to do in that spiritual growth process, in this inviting process? 
in this table process? Where is God asking you to share your story, to, to tell his story through your life and maybe through your words? Who needs to hear your story? Jesus wants to use your kitchen table or maybe your backyard picnic table or maybe your grill. He wants to use your life to tell your story, to tell his story, to make an eternal difference in someone else's life. Who do you know that needs to come to this table? Are you, first of all, willing to invite them to your table? And then are you willing to invite them to this table? Are you willing to give that invitation to a friend, to a stranger, to an outcast, maybe even to an enemy? pray with me God we can tell you right up front that this is really hard we are so comfortable in our family units in our friendships that, that we know and like our relationships are so easy when we keep them all insulated and isolated when we protect ourselves from those who don't know you, when we protect ourselves from this world around us. But Jesus, that's exactly the opposite of what you did. And so we take a deep breath and we, maybe some of us here dare say, okay, God, I'll listen. Tell me what that first step is. Show us a name. Show us a face. Prompt us as we live our lives day in and day out. Prompt us to see those opportunities to open up a space in our lives. Maybe open up literally a space around our table to invite someone in so that through us they might, they might hear your story and might know you. It's hard enough, Father, that my guess is each of us who tries is going to fail. And the first time we fail, we're going to say, good enough, I tried. Don't let us quit. Keep impressing upon our hearts the opportunity you give to tell your story and to tell our story of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.